one of you this morning. It's great to be in church today on this Mother's Day. And once again, happy Mother's Day to all the mothers and all the, the grandmothers out there this morning. It's a great joy this morning. And, and we thank you for all that you've done in our lives and the impact that you've had on our lives. Amen. We're going to come to the Word this morning. And uh, as a church over the last few weeks, we've been, and well, from the beginning of this year, we've been going through a series on a Sunday morning all about the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit might be familiar to you, he might not be familiar to you, but he is the third person of the Godhead. There's the Father, there's the Son who is Jesus, and then the Holy Spirit. But often the Holy Spirit, he's forgotten about. He's neglected. Many people today don't believe that, that he's moving, that he's active. Many people believe that when Jesus died, that, that he stopped his work, and that was it. But you know, we believe, uh, we believe in the Bible, and the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit is very much active. He's very much alive. It's, the Holy Spirit isn't just a ghost or just a thing. We believe the Holy Spirit is a person and he is the third person of the Godhead and he wants to impact our lives. And the Holy Spirit, he helps us to live this Christian life because we can't live this Christian life in our own strength. We'll fail, we'll falter. But thank God that when Jesus did die and when he rose again and then he ascended into heaven, he didn't leave us on our own. He sent the Holy Spirit to be with us, to help us live this Christian life, but also to empower us to do the things that God has called us to do, to, to be effective witnesses, to share the message of Jesus in this world that, that hates God and has turned its back on God. We need God's strength for that. I don't know if you've ever tried sharing about Jesus, but it's difficult in the workplace. It's difficult in our homes. It's difficult in the society in which we are living in. And especially in the society which we're living in now, which is very much turning away from God, which is dependent upon itself. But we believe that God is there to help us. He's come to live inside of us, to help us live this Christian life and to make Jesus known. So we've been learning about the Holy Spirit over these last few weeks. And, and last week we began learning about some of the works that the Holy Spirit does in our lives, some of the things he produces in our lives. And, and one of those things, and some of those things are the fruit of the Spirit. And this week we're going to come to part two of that message. If you weren't here last week and you would like to listen to that message, visit our website, gatewaychurchcumry.co.uk, and you can live, listen to our podcast or subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. You can listen to it there as well. But if you've got a Bible this morning, can you turn to Galatians chapter 5? Galatians chapter 5, and we're going to read from verse 16 to 26. If you've got a Bible, if you haven't got a Bible... Hopefully the person near you has got a Bible, you can catch up to them and you can read this passage together. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 to 26. And this is Paul writing to the church in Galatia. And he says, So I say to you, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under the obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, Outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, 
that anyone living this sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. For the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. So we see here that one of the ways that the Holy Spirit transforms us to become more like Jesus, to help us live this Christian life, is that he produces God's nature within our lives. This is something we cannot produce of ourselves because if you, if you know the story of the Bible, in the very beginning, Adam and Eve, they turned away from God. They were disobedient to what God had told them to do. And as a result of it, sin came into the world and cut mankind off from God. It separated us from a holy God. But we know that through Jesus, Jesus made the way possible that if we put our faith and trust in what Jesus did for us on the cross, where he took our place, where he died for our sins, for my sin, for your sin, for the sin of the world, where he died for us and he took our place, we believe in what he done on the cross and his death and his resurrection. We ask him to come in our lives and be our Lord and Savior and forgive us of our sin. Then now that God nature can be made in us. We have that restored relationship with God and we can become more and more like Jesus. And he wants to produce that nature in our lives. But as I said, because of sin, we're not like that in of ourselves. We are all that, that horrible list that we just read there. That's within us because of sin. But when we surrender our lives to Jesus, and more importantly, when we give ourselves to allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives, He produces all these other characteristics within our lives, things that we can't produce on our own. That love, that joy, peace, patience. We can't produce that of ourselves. I don't know if you've ever tried to be patient, as I shared last week. I'm not very patient uh, in the natural. I need God's help to be patient. Have you ever tried to be loving towards someone who you've just hated, somebody who's done something wrong against you? It's very hard. That's why we need God to help us. He's the one who produces that fruit in our lives. And that's what Paul describes it as, this God nature. He describes it as the fruit of the Spirit. And, you, uh, and we know that the, the fruit is that the analogy. And fruit can only come from the DNA of a tree. We know that. That if a, if a tree produces oranges, if, if you have an orange tree, then the only fruit it can produce is oranges. An orange tree won't produce lemons. And it's the same with us. If we're walking with Jesus, if we're right with Jesus, then, and we've surrendered our lives to him, then his nature should be coming out of us. It shouldn't be anything else. His nature can be transforming us and changes us to become more and more like him. And so Paul goes on and he describes what that nature is. And there are nine fruit, these nine characteristics that are produced in our lives when we surrender our lives to Jesus. And where we ultimately allow the Holy Spirit to control our lives. And these are them. And last week we looked at the first four, love, joy, peace, and patience. And this week we're going to look at those other five there. So the, number five is kindness. Number five is kindness. This isn't, kindness isn't just something that, that we do, but kindness is who we are. It's a nature that is produced within us. And that's what the words here that Paul was using here. It's not something that we do to others. It's something, it's a nature. We are a kind people. As it says there in Ephesians 4, 31, 32, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words and slander, 
as well as all types of behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. So he's not talking about just doing kind things to, to people now and again. He says that now if we allow the Holy Spirit to control our lives, then we will be a kind people. We'll be kind to other people. You know, it's a nature that flows throughout our lives as believers. It's a divine nature that flows through our lives because our God is a kind God. He's a very kind God and his nature, it does, it lives in us, it resides in us. And kindness and mercy flow out of our lives because God is a kind God towards us. We should be kind towards other people. We should be kind towards other people. As I said, it's not about just showing kind acts. You know, many of us today on Mother's Day, we'll be kind, won't we? We get gifts for our mothers. We, I'm sure many of you have. If you haven't already, I'm sure you'll be giving them later on. Uh, but we're, showing, we're performing a kind act by giving gifts to our mothers, showing our appreciation to our mothers. But as I said, it's not about that. It's a nature within us, being a kind people. It's having a kind heart. Because Jesus was kind. He's our ultimate example, but he was kind. His nature was kind. Wherever he went, that kindness flowed out of him. It impacted people all around him. Wherever Jesus went, you read stories in the gospel, he mellowed the most hardest of hearts. Those people who were so cynical towards God and other people, he melted their hearts with his kindness towards them, with his mercy towards them. You know, people might reject church. People might reject us oh, because of our faith or, or if we're preaching towards other people. But one thing people will reject us for is our kindness. We have to be a kind people towards others, towards people in this world. You know, kindness is one of the world's greatest bridge builders. If you want to build bridges with people, if you want to restore relationships, if you want to build opportunities, just be kind towards people. I don't, I don't know many people who will reject, reject be, you being kind to them. I don't know many people who, who will say, no, I don't want your kindness, I don't want that. If you want to build relationships with people or restore relationships with people, be kind towards other people. You watch how that will build opportunities for you that will open doorways that, that would never be possible if, in our own strength. And this happens, this nature only comes as a fact when we're in communion with the Holy Spirit, when we allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives and to have control in our lives and when we are led by Him. It's not something we can produce on our own. It's a fruit of the Spirit. Number six, another nature he produces, is goodness. Now, goodness in this passage, it's not being good at something. It's not saying that you're good at maths or you're good at art. I wasn't good at maths, so thank goodness this doesn't qualify who has to you. It's not about being good at something or good at a subject. But it's a quality that, that when it comes in contact with people, it produces good outcomes or, or right outcomes. When we come into contact with others, good things happen as a result of it. That's what this word here means. That's what goodness means here. It means good things happens when we're around those people. You know, goodness creates a good family culture. If you want to have a good family culture, it isn't just something that happens on its own. You've got to build it. And goodness builds a good family. If you want a good family, then you've got to be good. And it produces righteous outcomes. If you want a good work environment, then that's how it comes. It's having a good nature, being honorable, being right, making sure that everything is right, that it is open, that's transparent, that there's nothing hidden or there's no deceit. That's what goodness means. If you want that good work environment or that good school environment, 
If you want good friendship groups, then get around good people. Do good things. Don't get involved with people who are doing the wrong things or always ending up in trouble. You know, people who have goodness in them will impact positively on their community, on the church, on the culture around them. Goodness will impact everything. You know, the, I love what it says in, in Psalm 23. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life. It impacts everything. You know, it doesn't just happen by mistake. But if your heart's desire is to see good things happen, to see the right things happen, to be honorable to God and to others, then it will impact everything around you. It will impact everything around you. To be a good person means that our acts are noble, our decisions are right, and our works are honorable and wholesome. Now, I want to make clear here this morning that goodness doesn't mean that we are always right. You know, sometimes I think even as believers, we try to, to win the argument to prove that we are right. But goodness doesn't mean that we're always right. Goodness means here, if we want to be a good people, it means that we always want to do the right thing. It doesn't mean that we're always right or that we're correct and we're perfect and we're better than other people. It doesn't mean that. It just means that our heart's desire is for the right, best thing to happen, for good things to happen, the right thing to happen. And you know, goodness... Just because you're a good person doesn't mean you're afraid to rebuke or correct what is wrong. It actually means if you're a good person, you don't shy away from the tough things. You actually know what's right and you're going to stand firm and you're not going to be moved until you see the right thing happen. Jesus, for example, he was good. He is the good, good father, as the song says. He is the good shepherd. Jesus is good. But that doesn't mean just because he was good doesn't mean he shied away from the difficult things. When he's seen people in, in the temple who were selling and, uh, and trying to make a profit in, in the temple courts in his father's house, he made a whip and he threw them out. He wasn't ashamed. He was angry because of it. Because the, the right thing wasn't happening in his father's house. He said, my father's house, the, the temple, the place where people come and worship should be a house of pray, prayer. Not a place where you can make a quick buck, where you can sell things, where you can try to make yourself right or earn a bit of money. And so he drove them out. Jesus was all, always about bringing good in the Father's house. I know our God is a good God, as I've said. And he's always looking to bring good. And that happens when we demonstrate our goodness. God wants us to be a good people. Not just to be the teacher's pet or to look great for our own good. It's because it, our God is a good God. And so we should be good towards those around us. We want to see his goodness flow and impact everything around us. You know, that goodness only comes when we're connected to the Holy Spirit. We can't be good of ourselves. As I said, we're the sinful people. We've been cut off from God. It's something we can't do on our, in our own strength. It only comes when we're connected with God. You know, but you watch when you connect yourself to God. You watch his goodness flow out of you. As I said, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. That's my prayer from her life and for our lives. That goodness and mercy shall follow us as a church. Wherever we go, that the goodness of God shall impact everything around us. That we won't stand for things that are wrong. That we won't shy away from the things that are wrong. But in love, we will stand for the right things. And we will pray that God would work, that he would be lifted up and glorified and honored. So that's goodness. Number seven is faithfulness. Now, most commentaries agree that the better translation for this word is not faith. Faithfulness. We're not talking about faith here, believing in, in things that we can't see in the unseen. 
It's not talking about faith here, having a faith in God, but it's about being faithful. It's more to do with the way that we treat others. It's more to do with the way that we treat others more than our, our doctrinal statements. Faithfulness is that it's referring to that quality in us that makes us reliable. A reliable people. A trustworthy people. A consistent people. A dependable people. You know, faithfulness is often seen as boring. Some people might say faithfulness is a boring quality. But I think that faithfulness is one of the greatest qualities that we can have. In a world where there is so much unfaithfulness. We see it in homes and marriages where people are unfaithful towards one another. And that's, we as a people, we learn to be a faithful people. A faithful people, a people who are always trustworthy. I wonder, are you trustworthy this morning? Can people depend on you? Are you consistent in your life? Are you up and down or are you consistent? Are you consistent with other people? Are you a dependable people? I know that for myself, I need to become more faithful. It's something that, that, you know, I pray even for my own life. I pray for us as a church that we continue to be a faithful people. But I thank God that I've grown up in this church where there are so many faithful people. People who keep going. People who have been here all my life, but they keep turning up week in, week out. And I think it's one of the greatest qualities. People who just serve week in, week out. And I believe God honors faithfulness. God is looking for a faithful people. A people who will just be there will not give up, will not be moved by things around them, but also will be enticed and drawn away by the latest things that are happening. And people who say that I'm going to stay here, I'm going to be consistent, I'm going to be trustworthy, I want you to trust in me, I'm going to be reliable, I'm going to be there for you. No matter when people fail you, no matter when your friends or your family abandon you, I'm going to be there for you because my God is a faithful God. We sing that as a church, what a faithful God have I. He's a God who will never leave us, nor forsake us. He is the God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That is the God whom we serve. He is faithful to his people. Our God is a God who doesn't abandon us, no matter how much we mess up, no matter how much we hate him or turn our backs on him. He's a faithful God who will keep chasing after us, who is always there for us. And so our God is a faithful God, and we want to be a faithful people. In a society where there is so much unfaithfulness, I pray that as a church we will be a faithful people, a trustworthy people, a consistent people, consistent people and you know what I believe that our young people need that they need examples of people who are faithful, who are trustworthy who are consistent, who are reliable as I said that was one of the great, great motivators for me as a young believer because there are so many people who just keep on going what an incredible quality that is to be a faithful people, you know an, an example in the Bible of that is Luke the disciple of Jesus with the apostle Paul Luke was faithful. He says, Paul says, Demas has forsaken me. Only Luke is with me. Luke was a faithful, faithful guy. He was with Paul. In the ups and downs, he was with Paul. And I pray that as a people, we will be faithful towards one another. Because I believe we need that more than ever. And I believe, you know, the promise for this house is that the latter days will be greater than the former days. We're believing that God's going to bring in people. That God's going to do something greater than we've ever believed. But we as a people, as a church, we need to be ready for that. And I pray that us as a people, we will be faithful to the new people who come in. People who might not look like us or act like us, have difficulties. But we would be a faithful people. That we're going to say, yeah, we're going to be there for you. We're going to walk alongside you through this difficulty, through this situation. We're going to be there for you because our God's a faithful God. 
be faithful with us and we want to be faithful with you. But as I said, it comes from the Holy Spirit. When we connected to him, he would produce that in us. The last two qualities, very quickly, gentleness. You know, many people have struggled with this, with gentleness. People might think that gentleness means weakness. That we to be a weak people. Gentleness means being weak and timid and, and flimsy and all these different things. It means that we allow people to walk over us. They allow people to, to get away with murder and we'll do nothing about it because we're Christians. We can't do anything about it. But actually, gentleness is not weakness. And gentleness doesn't ignore justice. It doesn't ignore those injustices and all these things that are going on that are wrong. As I've said, Jesus, he was gentle, but he didn't ignore those things. He wasn't a pushover by any way, shape, or form. Jesus wasn't a pushover. Like I said, he, he rebuked the Pharisees time and time again. He pulled people up on their sin when they needed to be pulled up on it. But his motivation wasn't just to, to judge them or to, to condemn them. It was to restore them, to make sure the goodness was, uh, had its way, make sure that God was glorified in it. You know, Jesus displayed gentleness, but he never lost control of himself. He never got out of control. He was gentle, but he never got out of control. You know, Jesus, he was angry at the right time, for the right reason, and with the right amount of passion. He never did anything that was wrong or sinful. He did it at the right time. And you know, the scripture encourages us, it, it, it tells us, that sometimes we can be angry. We can be right angry over things that, that go against the things of God. That are, that are totally contrary to God's way. There's a way to, that we can be angry. We can have that righteous anger. But it warns us to turn, not turn our anger into sin. That's what the Bible tells us. Don't allow it to turn into a sin where we disobey God, where, we, where it hurts others or brings a dishonor to God. Don't allow that anger to bring dishonor to God. Don't allow it to turn into sin. You know, the, the Bible says that the, don't go asleep when you're angry because otherwise it allows the, Satan to have a foothold in that situation. Don't fall asleep angry. Resolve the situations. You know, I believe that, that we are to be a gentle people. We are to be loving towards people, kind towards other people, a gentle people, not an angry people, but that doesn't mean that we don't get angry over the right things. And sometimes what we've got to make a stand when it's to do with God's word, when God is telling us, when it's on his word and it's for his honor. Gentleness means that we are very firm, very, very direct, but it means that sometimes we're, we're, but it means that we're always in control, that we never fly off the wall, so to speak. And finally, self-control. This is the last quality contained in the fruits of the Holy Spirit. And this is in total contrast to the work of the flesh what our natural nature, our sinful nature, our flesh wants to do. These fruits are in total contrast to, to that. Our sinful nature, in our own hearts, before we came to God, we wanted to do whatever we wanted that would please us. It means out of control. But you know, sinful self-control means that we have control over those natures. That we have control over those desires. Self-control. You know, self-control, it gives us victory over sinful desires. If you find yourself out of, out of control in different areas, then ask the Lord to produce that self-control in your life. Ask the Lord to help you to be controlled in that area. 
Self-control gives us victory over sinful nature. That's how, as believers, we're able to walk in this sinful world without giving in to the temptations of sin. It's only the Holy Spirit can help us do that. I'm sure, like me, we can all be tempted in different ways by the things of this world. But that's why we need to stick so close to Jesus and be in communion with him constantly with the Holy Spirit. That's how we overcome those desires and those, those things that will just lead to death and destruction. We need the help of God. And you know, this is a quality, once again, that Jesus, produced, that, that Jesus demonstrated within his own life. It says in Hebrews 4, verse 15, that, that it says it is, you can see, for we do not have a priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. Jesus was tempted, but he was without sin. He displayed self-control. How God's nature in us can allow us to do that. That we can make, yeah, we may be tempted, but we don't give in. It stops us from sinning. It empowers us to go beyond just trying to hold down those sinful natures and those desires. But it enables us to actually say, okay, we're going to live for God. And it enables us to do the things that God has called us to do. You know, I feel that so often that some believers are just so busy trying to fight off those evil desires instead of stepping into all that God has for them. Ask the Lord to give you that self-control to, to overcome those desires, but then to push on into all that God has for you, to start working into all that God has for your life. You know, to be self-controlled means that we are disciplined, that we're excellent managers of ourselves and of the things that God has given us, all the resources that he's entrusted with us. You know, there are, I'm sure that we all have many people, famous people that we admire, great sports people. You know, there, there are many great achievers and sports people and champions and leaders of all the ages. And these people, I'm sure they're great examples for us, uh, to us because they existed in their, in, their, in their field. But I'm sure one of the qualities that inspires me is that they were exhibited self-control. They were so disciplined in their, in their field. And that's how it excelled them to be great in whatever area it is. You know, great sportsmen don't get there by accident. Great leaders don't get there by accident. It's because of discipline. They discipline their areas. They don't give in to, they don't eat the chocolate or the crisps. They have a strict diet. They constantly, they have a set routine when they're going to work out and exercise. And as a result of that, those bit by bits, those boring things put into action day after day results into greatness. And so it is within our own lives. God wants us to be disciplined, to have self-control in our area, in every area of our lives, not just one area, in every area. And to be consistent and to be disciplined in our walk. Why? Not so that we would be great, which is different in this world, so that Jesus would be seen and that he would be great in our lives. I, you know, this is one of the greatest battles for, probably for us, to be self-controlled. Paul says that there that is this constant fight going on between the flesh and the spiritual nature, and God's nature within our lives. And that's why he says that when we surrendered our life to Jesus, our lives, our passions were nailed to the cross. And now we have God's nature in us, and to allow the Holy Spirit to lead us into all that. When we have fellowship with the Holy Spirit, he will produce self-control in our lives. As I've said, I don't know how many of you have tried, but it's difficult on our own to produce those things, isn't it? It's because we can't. 
But when we're in communion with the Holy Spirit, when we allow him to take control of our lives, he will produce all these fruit in our lives. And it's not so that we would look good or that we could be boast and say, oh, look at our church. We've got a great church. Look at this. Look at what, what's ha- what God's doing. Look what's happening in our life. No. The Holy Spirit produces this fruit in our lives so that Jesus would be glorified, that other people would be drawn to him and that other people would come and find him as Lord and Savior. So to conclude this morning, I once heard a story of a, of a guy who, he fought dogs for a living. Not a very nice story, I know. But he, fought, he used to fight dogs for a living. And, and this guy, he would gamble with everyone about the outcomes of these fights. He would gamble and he would put money on a different dog. And every time he would bet, every time he would put money on a dog, he'd always end up winning. He'd always end up winning. And one day, towards the end of his life, he was asked, how he was so successful in always picking a winner. How did he always know which dog would end up as the winner? And he answered, it was easy. He knew which dog he had fed. And that was the result. Every dog, every dog that he fed would always end up winning the fight. I know, as I've said, there is a fight that we have as believers. It is between the flesh and between the spirit. If we give in to the flesh, if we feed the flesh and all those other desires with all the junk food and all these other things, then we allow the flesh to have control of our lives. And we become a sinful people and it ultimately leads to death. Sin leads to death. And we'll end up a defeated people, a weak, Christ, a weak Christians if we keep feeding the flesh and our own sinful desires. However, if on the other hand we feed the Holy Spirit and the things of God, if we get into the Bible every day, if we read every day, if we pray every day, if we surrender our lives to Jesus every day, if we're in communion with him every day, we'll watch God rise up within us. And we'll find that we, we be, his fruit will be produced in our lives and we'll be a strong people, a faithful people, a people who produce all these qualities and the spirit will flow up in us. And that's how we'll have the victory. So that's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. That's the fruit of the Holy Spirit in two weeks try to cover it pretty quickly but that's my prayer God that by your spirit you'll produce these fruit in our lives so that Jesus will be glorified that's my prayer for my life that's my prayer for our church the fruit will be produced for his glory and for his honor amen shall we pray